What a blessing to be here with you this morning on this first Sunday of Advent. I love your traditions. Fight to keep your traditions in your home and in your church. It's wonderful to see how, uh, how uh, you have kept yours, and I like coming and celebrating the Advent with you, the Advent with you. It's easy, it's easy to forget, and sometimes we disregard. My wife and I are privileged to have several grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and part of uh, what we cherish is trying to uh, pass on some legacy. And so I, I'm always talking about tradition and legacy and what we might leave behind when we've gone to glory. Of course, Scripture tells us that we have much legacy spiritually. And on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to read a portion of Scripture for you, which the, is the text for my message this morning. If you have your Bibles, will you turn to Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 12 and then verses 16 and 18. This is the account of the visit of the wise men. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When, he, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the, the Magi left their own country, for their own country by another way. Verse 16, then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through, the, through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted 
because they were no more. May God add his blessing to this, the reading of his holy word. I want to start by introducing you to two elderly men who were sitting on a park bench, enjoying the sunshine, and they had become accustomed to meeting together like this and just talking to one another and chatting, having a friend to talk with on uh, these days. One morning, one of them turns to the other and says, I'm really embarrassed. He says, I can't remember your name. He says, I wrote to my granddaughter this week and I told her all about you and I couldn't tell her who you were. Would you please tell me again just who you are? The other man turned to him and stared at him for a long time and looked with a blank face and then it crept on to despair and bewilderment. And after about two minutes of silence, he asked, how soon do you have to know? Now we laugh at that unless we are growing older. But there are some things just too important to forget, aren't there? There are just some things we can't forget, and it hurts us and grieves us when we do. But, you know, so many of us today seem to forget the importance of our faith. We sometimes set it aside, or we don't recall it often enough. We get busy in the world, and we lay it aside. Most of us uh, here, at least, do have the truth, and we, we have ample opportunity to comprehend and respond to it. But even there, there are always those of us who do not respond as we should to the truth of God's Word. And this was the case of those spoken of in the Scripture portion before us today. And as we look at these uh, three uh, groups of people, or, or one person and, 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 and groups of people, We want to learn some lessons and and see uh, our response, uh, what our response should be to the king of the Jews, whom we worship even this morning, as our brother has already said, and as you've joined in worship together in song, and have lighted the, the first Advent candle. I love it. I love it. We're being challenged again to remember our background and where we come from, and the very important, the very important part of that is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But I'm suggesting to you that our response to Christ will undoubtedly be like that of the Magi or Herod or Jerusalem. And how we respond has eternal implications. Everything we do has some kind of an implication, not just to our own family as we leave testimony, but to those, uh, to those responsibilities we carry as Christians. And so let us look together then at the way the individual and the groups of individuals responded in the passage before us. And may I begin with the wise men as as the account in Matthew begins? Much of our thinking about the Magi have, have been shaped almost entirely by folklore. Carols and cards which are are based upon imagination and uh, and uh, very little truth. We don't uh, know a lot from Scripture about the, th- the three wise men, if there were three even. We don't know the number. We don't know their names or even the source of their information, really, other than the fact that they saw some unusual sight in the sky, which is described in our translations as a star. One has to acknowledge, nevertheless, that What little we do know is all that we need to know. It was recorded in Scripture and the canon is closed and we have all we need as Christians. 
The story of the wise men awakens our curiosity and highlights the depth of their understanding and their commitment to find and to worship the king. Something special in their lives that we can see if we look closely. Matthew's account begins with the arrival of the Magi into Jerusalem. And Matthew's gospel leaves us with the impression that these wise men arrived in Jerusalem asking whomever they met where the Messiah could be found. That was their goal. They were asking this question over and over again. Without doubt, if they had been so clearly guided by God this far, they must have thought the people of God ought to have had an even greater awareness of his birth. They must have been awestruck that the people they approached did not know. The Magi must have marveled at the shrugged shoulders and the bewildered looks on the faces of the residents of that great city, Jerusalem. They asked many people and found no answer. Word must have traveled quickly about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not that large at that time. How could foreigners from afar have received such information without Jerusalem first learning of the Christ coming? How could it be? How could a Jewish king be sought by those who would be considered Gentiles so that they might worship him? How could that happen? Regardless of Harold's motives, his secret meeting with the Magi supplied them with the name of the village. It was Bethlehem where the Christ could be found. We find that in the verses we read. Herod, therefore, served as a channel, a divine revelation, so to speak, to the Magi, who sought to find the worship and worship the Savior. He was an important instrument in God's plan to reveal to these men. After hearing the king, we read in Matthew 2, 9, and 10, after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So they they felt like mission accomplished at this point. It was not until after they were headed south from Jerusalem that the star reappeared to these, these, uh, these wise men and leading them to the very house where Mary and Joseph and and Jesus were staying. And the Christmas story has to be retold and retold so we keep it and nurture it in our hearts, not just to children, but to mom and dad, grandpas and grandmas, and great-grandpas and grandmas. And we love to hear the story of them seeking and following the star. The star then stood still over the place where the Christ child would be found. Not only has the place changed from a stable to a house, according to the scripture before us, but a certain period of time has lapsed as well. The amount of time necessary for the the, uh, three wise men to travel from the east to, to Bethlehem. We should therefore not consider the wise men as standing around the babe in the manger presenting their gifts as so many of our nativity scenes do. It shouldn't stop us from having nativity scenes, but we should know that and correct that in our minds. The eagerness or the zeal of the Magi to find the king of the Jews is truly amazing and it should be a testimony to us to seek diligently for truth as we struggle to know more and more of the account. While Herod and all of Jerusalem are troubled by the news of the birth of the king, the Magi eagerly seek him, rejoicing greatly at the return of the star. 
They fall in worship of the Lord Jesus and give him expensive gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It was an, an example of what worship was really like, the way it began in the very first years of Jesus' birth. The worship of the infant Jesus is all the more amazing in the light of, of, of factors which could have dampened their enthusiasm. But the wise men's enthusiasm was not dampered. Remember that. Remember that. We could ask why, for example, was all Jerusalem ignorant of, of uh, and so apathetic to their, the reports of the Messiah's birth? How could that happen in that great city that nobody knew? Why was Jerusalem not informed about the Messiah's birth? We could ask why was Jerusalem not, not streaming to Bethlehem to worship the king? Why weren't they leaving Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem? Why, if the child was a king, was he surrounded by the trappings of poverty? Swaddling clothes, for example. A borrowed house. Parents whose appearance must have betrayed their humble means. In spite of all these things, the wise men fell in worship and give expensive gifts. Why? Why worship? Why give expensive gifts? It's an example of the love they have for this great event. And they withhold nothing as we should come to worship. Withholding nothing from extolling the Lord in personal worship, in giving of ourselves, our time, and uh, gifts to God as we worship. The wonder of the Magi is inescapable. God revealed the Messiah's birth to a people far away, far away. Not to Jerusalem, but far away. But all of Jerusalem seemed uninformed and indifferent. We need to ponder that. The city of God didn't seem to care. They came from afar to find Jesus and worship him. And so we see the response of the wise men, and we look at the response of Herod, Herod the Great. We shouldn't be surprised at the cruelty of Herod the Great. History reveals this kind of cruelty was common among the kings of those days. And while we might rightfully be surprised by the responses of the Magi and that of the people of Jerusalem, Harold's actions are really true to form. He didn't hide his character. He revealed his character. He revealed his character. At the time of the Lord's birth, Herod the Great would have been nearly 70 years old in very poor health, and destined to die within a very short time. It is not without significance that Herod's rule was threatened by the Magi who, who, who sought to worship the king of the Jews. Herod ruled over the Jews, remember, on the strength of Rome, and had a, a continual back-and-forth battle over Palestine uh, with their, their eastern rivals, the Parthenians, uh, from the, uh, Iran and Persia. And that's where the three wise men, if we call them three, and, and call them wise men, the, uh, the uh, magi came from. Herod believed that the time was ripe for another attack by the Parthi Parthians and, and, and could well imagine the impact on, on, on Herod then when the magi showed up looking for the king of the Jews. It would shock him that they wanted another king. It would shock them more when they were coming from a land for which they were uh, concerned. And he thought rightly, perhaps, that they were even spies. 
And remember, it is not at all unusual for Herod to be so cruel as to slaughter innocent children. We cringe at such a thing today, but it was not surprising then. Herod had never hesitated to use his power to destroy anyone who might get in his way. Among the victims of his uh, suspicions or, or displeasure were people like a, a brother-in-law, a father-in-law, an uncle and brother-in-law, one of his own servants, one of his wives uh, ex- executed for adultery, even a mother-in-law, even two of his sons. Herod's life reads like a, a, a cheap novel. One can hardly keep track of his wives, his children, and his victims. They were all over the place, you could say. How cruel was he? How cruel was this man? History tells us before his death, he reportedly had many important individuals of Jerusalem arrested and held in prison. He was wise enough to know that there would be no grieving at the announcement of his passing. So this wise old man who was so cruel and wicked gave orders to have those in prison who he had in prison, who were significant citizens, to be killed at the moment of his death. Why? Just so there would be mourning and grief at the announcement of his demise. That's the kind of man he was. And when a man like that acts like that, we see his real character coming forth. Herod's response to the arrival of the Magi is therefore totally consistent with his life. Imagine, this is a 70-year-old king with failing health, afraid of a newly newborn child. Was he strong or was he weak? Well, when we stop to think about it, there is a sense in which this was probably the only occasion when Herod's fears were well-founded because he was dealing with the king of the Jews. All the plan of God being unfolded right before his eyes. So far as we can tell, there was never any question about what Herod was intending to do. Only the necessity of gaining the information so that he might destroy everyone he believed a threat. The conclusion of the Jewish religious leaders was unanimous. It was a unanimous decision. The Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. It's interesting, isn't it, that how they understood the prophecies concerning the Messiah. They knew the prophecies. They knew the Messiah was foretold to come. And they knew he was to be born in Bethlehem. Herod now had learned part of what he needed to know, an important part. Now he needed only learn the age of the child or the children whom he would, he would destroy. If he could kill his own wife, children, and relatives, the murder of children or others would be of no great concern, would it? It really wouldn't be significant as far as Herod was concerned. For us, yes. In fact, our parental emotions cause us to feel the fires of hell could not be too hot for such a man as Herod. Never too hot. But let us remember that the depravity of this man symbolizes but the depravity of any man. For who knows what any one of us would have done had God not changed our heart and turned us around so that we would go a different way. We see that the wise men came in faith for a long way, seeking for the Christ whom they knew was to be born. We can see that Herod responded in a normal way for Herod, not normal for the man who has moral inclinations, yes, but for Herod. And then we see the response of the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. 
The most shocking response to the birth of Messiah is not that of the Magi, and not even that of Herod the Great. A more deplorable response is that of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem. The most significant statement comes in verse 3, where we read, And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Jerusalem is said to have been troubled with him. This suggests that there is a common concern, a mutual apprehension, while perhaps different in some particulars, the same in general. In contrast to the Magi, all Jerusalem failed to find the announcement of the birth of the king sufficient reason to travel even five or six short miles to, uh, to, the, to uh, Bethlehem. Just five or six short miles to the southwest of Bethlehem. Here is the greatest wonder of our text. Jerusalem was the site of the temple. Jerusalem contained the communicated and, and communica- the communicated Old Testament prophecies that were foretold of the birth of the king, the Messiah. It was therefore no great task for the religious leaders to inform Herod of the birthplace of the Messiah. They had it all right there in their great city. They had it there. They knew the truth. The arrival of the Magi in Jerusalem must, have, however, be viewed in the context of all that had transpired in Jerusalem during the previous years. They would have known even in the, the days leading up to Christ's birth. You remember the story of the miraculous pregnancy of Elizabeth, barren, advanced in age, and, and was with what? child. Remember the account? And do you remember that Zechariah was, uh, was, uh, was uh, muted <laughs> because he lacked just enough faith to believe that it was John for a great, uh, a great uh, birth and a great ministry? And so John the Baptist was born, and his father couldn't speak until the birth. And uh, his, tongue, his tongue and his testimony was stopped until then. And sometimes we might be able to sidetrack here and say sometimes when we just, we, don't, we doubt God, our testimony is sidetracked too for a little while and we, we lose the glory of God and the advancement of some of the things we like to do as it did for Zachariah. But Zachariah was faithful in the end and God rewarded him. So too the birth of Jesus was announced to the shepherds. Remember the shepherds? Um, we sing the carol. And we, we know the story. They came to see the babe and, and that very night in which he was born. And they proclaimed what they saw to others. We even know that. For in Luke chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, it says, When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which had to- were told them by the shepherds. It was a wondrous message on that night when angels guarded their flocks by night. Remember, it's a wonderful story. We tell it every Christmas. And we know that Jerusalem heard of it, and a goodly number of people had to hear it. For it says that they they told them. They told them. They made known the statement. And, of course, we're to make known the statement of the truth that we have in our heart. If we're here today and we have that truth in our heart, it's not to be hidden in our heart. It's to be proclaimed throughout the world to anyone who will listen. So the arrival of the Magi with their announcement of the appearance of the star and the birth of the king of the Jews could hardly have been, been caught, uh, this hardly have caught the city by surprise. It couldn't have been a surprise to them. In and of itself, the announcement of the, of the uh, three wise men could not be overlooked. 
The whole city of Jerusalem could not have failed to have heard of their arrival or of the search for the newborn king. They had all this information before, and now when the, when the Magi came, it should have been more information that would have stirred their heart and said, I'd forgotten, but it's true. All of the chief priests and the scribes had been summoned and questioned by Herod. They, they had to know that these men had been called, and the prophecies of the Messiah's birth had been revealed. Matthew is hardly exaggerating when he says that all Jerusalem was troubled with Herod. All Jerusalem was troubled. This is a very troubling statement, can we say, against the backdrop of the diligent search for Messiah by the, three, the wise men. It seems uh, apathetic and, and disregardful of, uh, of Jerusalem to act such a way. They disregarded the truth. They're, they're full of apathy. The city of Jerusalem is, is more like Herod than it is like, like the, uh, the wise men. In fact, we could even say that Herod is, in one sense, more commendable than the rest of the city of Jerusalem. He didn't have all these facts. Jerusalem had all these facts, all this information. They had the truth and ignored it. Jerusalem's apathy is much harder to comprehend than is Herod's much harder to comprehend at least his annihilation of the small children of Bethlehem and the surrounding vicinity. Why would Jerusalem be so apathetic? Why do you think a city like Jerusalem would be so apathetic? Could it happen to us? One reason was that Jerusalem, in the time of our Lord's birth, like today, was in unbelief, was in unbelief, and thus was unwilling to seek him or to worship him. We're reminded of Paul's description of all mankind, including Jews, in the third chapter of the book of Romans. You remember that verse, Romans 3, 10 and 11. There the apostle Paul said, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. No one on their own can be called to have a faith apart from God giving that faith. Unbelieving Jews were just like all other unbelievers. They refused to seek God or to worship him. And that can happen to us. That can happen to us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The point is that being Jewish no more inclines one to recognize God's salvation, which, by the way, is, is uh, what the name Jesus means, Jehovah is salvation. So being Jewish no more inclines one to recognize God's salvation than being raised in a Christian home does. Another point, proximity to truth is not enough. They were right, they were right there, five or six miles from Bethlehem where, where it all occurred. Proximity had no bearing on it. Ultimately, it is those to whom God chooses to reveal himself who come to him. No one can come to me unless the Father draw him. That's a strong word, draw. And, and God had been working through history to reveal his Son and draw all men to himself. It is not shocking to find, is it not shocking then that, that when our Lord publicly presented himself to the nation some 30 years later, what happened, happened. It shouldn't be surprising at all. They failed as a nation to accept him as their king. And it was in Jerusalem that he was crucified. It was in that city that couldn't go five or six miles to look for the birth of their savior. Later was the place of his crucifixion. And so we have 
the wise men. We have Herod. We have the city of Jerusalem. And then we have to, of course, think about us today, right now. All of us here together today, our response. The three responses of the wise men, Herod and, and Jerusalem, characterize the responses of mankind to the message of the Messiah, who has come to redeem fallen man and later to reign over all the earth as king and reign in our hearts as individuals, of course. Throughout history, there have always been those who, like the wise men, responded and sought to come by faith, trusting God, simple faith. It is by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Often they have not been those whom would have expected to find and worship and adoring him. Sometimes we, we think it should be a certain kind of people. It wasn't, was it? It was always been God's way to draw some of those who worship him from afar, from far away. Whether that distance is, is geographical or whether that distance is, is racial or cultural. We who are Gentiles or non-Jews should have a very special place in our hearts for the, for the wise men. For we are in many ways like them. We should have a heart to seek after God, in other words. In Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 13... We read, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you are my brothers and sisters, that's good news, isn't it? You know, you almost want to jump up and clap, don't you? No, we're not like that. But in your heart, is your heart stirring when you hear a story like that? Shouldn't it, it stir us from apathy to excitement? Then there are also those like Herod who, who take the claims of Jesus seriously, but who, for selfish reasons, pride mostly, pride is a terrible thing since the fall, it's still with us, but probably from selfish reasons actively seeks to rid themselves of his sovereign rule, and, and that's what he did. That's what Herod did. He didn't want to rule, he didn't want to submit to the sovereignty of God. Now he we don't find people today who, who kill children because they don't want to submit to the sovereignty of God. But Herod was a de demonstration of what we want. It's so distasteful, we don't even want to think about it or act anywhere nearly in that manner. And finally, there are those, like the vast majority of those who dwelt in Jerusalem, who are so indifferent to the claims of Christ that they would not bother to make the minimal effort required to respond to the fact that he had come. They set quietly in their cities, in their homes, with no response. During this Christmas season, millions will make, make no effort to travel a mile to, or two to church, where they may come to adore the Christ who came to save us all from our sin. And so we're not, not much different than Jerusalem. So whether in Edmonton or Jerusalem, it's not because individuals are not told of his coming as he claims, but simply that people do not really care to bother themselves to respond to him. That's the issue. 
people right here in Wetaskiwin, Edmonton, all of Alberta have access to the truth, just as Jerusalem did. The apathy of Jerusalem may be more social, sociably acceptable, but it is in some ways more repulsive. So if we have apathy like Jerusalem, it becomes more repulsive, really. Although we like it. We think it's a comfortable pew. We can sit in our comfortable pew and, and not get too excited about this Christ child. Why? Why? Why is it more repulsive? Why do you say that? Well, I suggest to you that apathy and indifference do not remain passive. You cannot be, you cannot be apathetic and indifferent and still remain passive. The city which could care less about the birth of their king is but 30 years later in Herod-like fashion seeking the death of the Messiah. It didn't say passive. Rather than repenting of their sins and receiving him as Messiah, that city is crying out in Luke 19, crucify him, crucify him. And rather than bowing down and worship before him as their king, they shouted, we have no king but Caesar. The world had them in their clutches, as too often the world holds us. Apathy has its way of turning into animosity. Those who at first ignore the Christ who has come, will eventually attempt to eradicate the world of him and his rule. May I ask you very honestly, as we approach another Christmas, and I love it, I feel so christmas today by just seeing your sanctuary, hearing the first songs of the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, I'm touched. I like it. I like it. So may I ask you very honestly, as we approach another Christmas celebration, which response most accurately reflects your reaction to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which one? You can't stay apathetic. Apathy has no passion. It'd be like married to a wife and having no passion for her. Wife would be like married to a husband and having no passion for him. It'd be like having children and not caring enough to love them. Something has to stir in our hearts. We have to have passion for what we believe. There must be an emotional response as well as stepping forward in faith and trust with a a, a verbal acceptance of Christ as Lord. We must have relationship that is close and intimate and understanding. We must strive after Christ and the truth of God's word so that people can look at us and tell that we love Jesus. If we marched all across the country as far as the wise men did, they'd know we were coming with a purpose, would they not? If we sat in our, in our homes in Jerusalem, a few miles away, the birth of the, chi- of the Christ child, and didn't do anything, wouldn't they think we were a little off in our understanding of what we claim? Today, brothers and sisters, we start our Christmas season knowing that this is a special time. It's the Advent, as your pastor said, it's the Advent message. It's, it's, it's remembering that he's coming again. 
He's to come. It means a Latin word. It's, it can be a past experience. God did come at, in Christ at Christmas. The prophets promised and the, the fulfillment in the babe. It can be a present experience. God may come to you this Christmas in terms of rebirth, either for the first time or spiritual renewing. This is the time. This is the time for revival. This is the time for really changing us. We can't just go from store to store and buy what we want to satisfy selfish greed. We must look within our hearts and seek how we, how, and desire to seek him fully. Wise men still seek him today, as the old cliche goes, and you've heard it before. It can still be a future experience because, because Christ will return unpredictably as sure as he came the first time. And we won't be able to ignore that one. We've got to be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's exciting. These are exciting times. The world is falling apart before our eyes. There are so many lonely people, hurting people, sick people, angry people. They'll be angry at you because you're a Christian. They'll be angry at you because you've got the wrong theology. They'll find something to be angry about. Herod did. Jerusalem was, had no emotion at all. My challenge to you, brothers and sisters, is no, we don't have to go overboard. Do you notice what we're like? As I get older... It seems like we either stay in apathy or go overboard. Why? Why not trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him? And what will he do? What will he do? He'll make a pathway for you. He'll direct your path. Let your pathway lead to Christ. If you're not a Christian today, and I don't know all of you, if you're not a Christian today, Dan would love to talk to you after service. Go talk to him. Go talk to him. If you're walking with Christ and you just feel a little bit, yeah, old hat, get some emotion back in your heart. Cry out to God. Let him stir you to a new understanding of your rebirth. Can you remember when you were saved? I just told the lady the other day, yesterday in the hospital, about my wife and I's conversion. It was nice to be able to tell her because I was 37 years old and I was saved and I wasn't a very good guy, I don't think. I knew that. But it was, it was so amazing. We, we went searching. I wasn't going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you now. Uh, we, we, went, we went to this little, uh, a brand new church. It was a church plan. And these people loved us. At least they, we felt they loved us. As soon as we walked in, they shook our hands, they welcomed us, they invited us to their home and made us feel really good. I couldn't understand what the preacher was saying. I'll admit that. That night they were preaching on the, on the book of Revelation. I, couldn't, I didn't know what it was about. But something happened to us. We got saved. I went to, Joan and I both went to the pastor's, pastor's class, as he called it in those days. And we heard the gospel. Went home, prayed, trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And how do I know I was saved? The Bible said I was saved. If you believe with your heart, Jesus is Lord. Huh? Okay, and you're saved. So uh, that was settled theologically. But I know I was saved because I changed. I had passion. I had passion. The things we did before, we quit doing. We did the things that were moral and upright and taught to us in Scripture. I never missed, as far as I can remember, I never missed morning or evening service after that time. We sold our camping equipment. We didn't want to go camping, we wanted to stay with God's people. 
There was 18 of us got baptized in that first baptismal class. We stayed friends. We went out after church every Sunday. It, it, it was so exciting. I told the lady this yesterday, and I thought, man, I've got to remember that for tomorrow because I have, to be, I have to be passionate. I have to be passionate. I want you to know that I love Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm not perfect. I wasn't a perfect husband or father then. I guess I wasn't a perfect husband either. You can ask Joan, but I wasn't a perfect father. I'm not a perfect grandfather nor a perfect great-grandfather. But it's sure nice to know that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let it speak to your heart. Father God, Anoint these people with a special sense of who you are in this Advent season. For now, you're not a babe in the manger. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. And according to your word, which we trust, you're coming again. Help us to be prepared. And that preparedness would be trusting, believing, and living for you. And we wait expectantly. In the meantime, Lord, may each one here be able to say it's good to have been in the house of the Lord and it's good to be excited for Jesus. And I pray now that this will be the case for each one here that believe knowing that Christ is your Savior, Christ is your Lord, and they'll live for you. Each one of us will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.